We're the planeteers, and you can be one too, because saving our planet is the thing to do. Looting and polluting is not the way. Hear what Captain Planet has to say. And then there would be this guy who would just sort of emerge in this, like, I don't know, bluish, greenish, you know, he looks like the planet Earth. He said, the power is yours. Uh, if you haven't had that acid trip dream with me before, that uh, is kind of the end of the Captain Planet and the Planeteers theme song. And we're finishing up our sermon series on participation, uh, and today looking at embodying an ecology of participation. We won't read through uh, all of our statement on participation because we've been going through that each week, but the last line of it says, and to lean into the literal call to care for and serve the earth we belong to. I was reading an article recently in the BBC that even talked about in India itself, their first just about two years ago report came out on the environment and was showing that uh, they project that heat waves will increase fourfold by the end of this century, that what's happening in our planet uh, impacts all of us uh, and Understanding our place in that and our part in that is significant to what it means to participate. Uh, For the last three weeks, we've been looking at Romans 12, and so I've lifted out this verse 18. Uh, If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But in that passage, Paul is mostly pivoting likely from talking to believers and how in the faith communities that we exist in, we should connect to one another and then shifting to, and what is it like to connect to people that might oppose you and might be hostile towards you, uh, that might see the good news of Jesus as bad, that might be entrenched in power and violence and division. What does it look like to relate to them? And his advice then is, as far as it's possible, as far as it depends on you to live peaceably with all. And so I do want to just acknowledge that in this particular verse, probably the all that Paul has in mind is humanity all, not ecology all. But, and that's the reason we're gonna pivot now to Romans 8, in that same letter that Paul shares, he does talk about the way that the implications of our faith connect to how we understand our participation in the planet. And so when I lived in Waco, Texas, For the last few years, I lived in a house that was built in 1920. It was this massive house. I was renting it, and I was renting it with several other people. It had been turned into like four uh, apartment units uh, in it. And I remember there was about a three-month period um, where almost every day when I walked into my bathroom, I would find a bee, either alive sometimes, just flying around, buzzing around, doing its thing, or sometimes just like a dead bee. And I was like, I don't know if we got like some kind of Candyman thing happening. This is not exciting for me. Uh, I don't know what's going on here. But there was just a bee just about every day in my bathroom. And finally, one day I was there uh, as the sun was kind of getting ready to set. And I noticed that like outside the window of my bathroom just looked like there were, you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of bees flying around. And so I, I called the landlord, and I said, I think that we must have like a hive somewhere nearby because I'm seeing a bee that's somehow getting into my 
uh, bathroom just about every day. And I looked out my window the other day and there's, you know, thousands upon thousands. And so they, they, they sent some people out to look and they couldn't find a hive anywhere. Uh, you know, and so, I don't know what to tell you. They, they came, they checked, there's nothing anywhere. They looked all over, said, okay. Uh, said, I'm still seeing a bee every day, <laughs> you know, just about. Uh, but I just tried to slow and, and it just didn't stop. And finally, I took some pictures the next time I was there, and there were all these thousands of bees flying around. So I could send them out. It's like, I don't know where they are, but like these are lots of bees that are living here. Um, and so up to that point, I think she, you know, she had like a guy, and so she was just sending her guy. She wasn't sending someone who was trained in all of this. So she stopped sending her guy and actually sent like a trained expert. Uh, and like the next day while I'm at work, she says, oh yeah, they found about two trash cans worth of like hive that was inside the walls, uh, like in between your bathroom and the house and they've removed it all now. So it's fine. You shouldn't see any more bees. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Just, you know, two massive trash cans full of beehive that were just like right there in the wall, uh, between, uh, my bathroom and me. And... It was a big reminder for me that my mindset, and probably for many of us, like our mindset is like, when we are indoors, we have some level of expectation that we are like hermetically sealed or cut off from the rest of the world, right? Like we, we don't, when, when we see any type of insect or rodent or any other type of thing that's in our house, typically for many of us, we see that as an intrusion, as something that should not be happening, right? And that's, it's a problem to be addressed for most of us. And I'm not pretending that I'm any less that than any of us. But part of how Paul seems to understand creation is that we are not separate from that, though we might feel estranged from creation, though we might be tempted to see ourselves as distinct from it, we are in fact a part of creation, that we have common cause with the rest of creation and that what happens to us impacts creation and vice versa. And so Paul, who's incredibly staggered and awed by the redemptive power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, it would make sense that Paul also sees that what happened on the cross and in the resurrection impacts creation. And so in Romans chapter eight, we read, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For that creation was subjected to futility. Paul probably has in mind here uh, this idea of what happened through Adam and Eve and the way that sin and evil enters the world, but also being someone who was steeped in the prophetic literature of Hebrews, he probably, of the Hebrew people in the Hebrew Bible, would probably also be aware that there was so many times that the prophet said, because of the mismanagement of humanity, but because of the greed of humanity, there was a judgment that was falling upon the earth and that the earth itself was drying up and withering and languishing because the leaders that had been appointed over creation were not stewarding creation well. And so while there is this sense that, yes, from the very beginning, because of ways that we have chosen to be selfish and violent and try to live our life distinct from God and one another, creation laments, there is also this very real sense that we keep 
doing that over and over and over again. Dr. Robert Bullard, who is considered the father of environmental justice, uh, I got to see him speak at Trinity University uh, in January 2020. And at the time, he had this like graphic, right? the race to save the planet. That's what 2020 was all about. We just didn't know that it was going to be in a different way back in January uh, 2020. Uh, but he has this quote, this, right now, zip code is the most potent predictor of health and well-being, and that should not be the case. And if you read any of his books or you watch any of his YouTube videos, he can talk about whether it's about where we uh, have toxic waste stored, if we talk about where it is that there is less high quality of air that we are breathing and all of the different impacts that that has on people and how they are born and how they learn, how we grow and how we develop, how so much of that correlates with districts that have been redlined with people and communities of color and also with poverty. And so we also know that how we steward creation has an impact on all of us, but unfortunately has a particularly salient and heavy impact on the least, the most marginalized, the most pressed among us and in our world. Alice Walker reminds us that in nature, nothing is perfect and everything is perfect. Trees can be contorted, bent in weird ways, and they're still beautiful. Randy Woodley in the book Becoming Rooted asks, what's one thing or what one thing can you do to take down an impediment to nature's growth? Or how could you add a pathway of some kind so nature can do what nature naturally wants to do, grow? That might be worth just considering in our own spheres of influence, uh, in our own life and world. The passage goes on in Romans 8 to say, creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Uh, J. Daniel Kirk, uh, professor on Pauline studies, talks about the relationship between creation, Christ, and the children of God. And he lays it out in this way. Uh, the resurrected Jesus is the son, the image bearer of God. Jesus is the one who rules over all of creation on God's behalf. Redeemed humanity goes the way of its ruler, which is resurrection. So for those of us who have opened up our lives to the beauty and the goodness of who God is, we experience this redemption, this resurrection power. And so creation, for which humanity is regent or ruler over, is intended to go the way of Jesus, which is also intended to go the way of resurrection. This is how Paul understands what is happening. And so ultimately, Paul too would say, yes, if we're talking about returning to some sort of Edenic garden, that is going to happen at the end of all things, or perhaps the beginning of all things, depending on how you might look at that. But also... We are called right now, if we would say that we partner in the spirit of Christ and the resurrection of God to be stewards that are working with creation for its good. It would be like you might know 
when we talk about the new heavens and the new earth, I could think of this building. I've seen pictures of it before, and it was a fine building. It looked very different than this building. But when we thought about as a community having this building, we didn't think, okay, let's just set the whole thing on fire and start over. Maybe that would have been tempting. Ways giving me a like, I don't know. That could have saved us some time. Uh, Instead, no, we looked at this and said, how can we be a good steward of this and live into the fullness of what this building next can be, not only for our community, but for East Austin and for the region? What does that look like? And then how do we begin to partner to make those kinds of improvements so that this space can host and welcome so many people? Our passage goes on to talk about, at the, in verse 23, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Creation not only longs to share in our liberation, but God's adoption is the redemption of our bodies. What is the relationship between the trauma we've experienced, the oppression in our bodies, Jenna has helped us to look at that a little bit before, and I'm excited to say that uh, for our fall retreat, that will be one of the significant things that we're looking at. And there are also some people within our community who are going to be helping us think about embodied justice and to begin to have some meetings that will happen on Wednesday nights that help us to look at that. And we'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. But We're not only estranged often in our minds from creation, seeing ourselves as separate, but I think if we're honest, for so many of us, we also feel estranged from our bodies. They hurt us. They get diseased. They seem to make all sorts of uncomfortable smells and sounds at all the inappropriate and wrong times. And so much of even what our culture might say is the ideal body, even for people that we would say, you are doing much closer to that ideal, whatever that is. Uh, feels unattainable for every single one of us. And Paul says, if we are understanding that we are a part of creation, not only are we to be stewards of all creation, but we are to be stewards of our own body, that Christ's resurrection is impacting the environment around us, but it's also meant to speak into our relationship to our bodies. What's one way you can be kind to your body this week? And I want to close us with uh, a reading of a poem. Uh, It's a poem by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And some of the lines in there may sound familiar because Maya Angelou was inspired by them and wrote a whole book kind of in the vein of that. And I want us to just hear this in between the lament of what is and what could be in Paul Lawrence Dunbar's words as we close. I know what the cage bird feels, alas, when the sun is bright in the upland slopes, when the wind stirs soft through the springing grass, and the river flows like a stream of glass, when the first bird sings and the first bud opes, and the faint perfume from its chalice stills, I know what the cage bird feels. I know why the cage bird beats his wing till its blood is red on the cruel bars, for he must fly back to his perch and cling. 
when he fain would be on the bow a swing and a pain still throbs in the old, old scars and they pulse again with a keener sting. I know why he beats his wing. I know why the caged bird sings, ah me, when his wing is bruised and his blossoms, bosom sore, when, his, when he beats his bars and would be free, it is not a carol of joy or glee, but a prayer that he sends from his heart's deep core, but a plea that upward to heaven he flings. I know why the cage bird sings.